Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Rick Courtney. I'm CEO of uh, Essential Realty Partners. Essential is a national multifamily and build-to-rent specialist. Uh, we are a new firm that's founded by some crusty old veterans uh, that have been patiently waiting for uh, the, the market that we find ourselves in today or the beginning of the market that we find ourselves in today. And so uh, we're going to talk about co-GP funds today. They're a little bit different than a direct co-GP investment that you've heard from some of, some of the panel members today about how they like to uh, you know, do direct investing as in, in what's called a co-GP JV. And usually these are larger check writers that write at minimum $5 million, if, if not typically $15 to $20 million checks. A coaching P fund is a little bit different than that. It allows some smaller family offices to get in and provide some diversity and scale and things of that nature. But I'm just going to give you a quick overview of it today. But before we even get into that, let's uh, talk a little bit about the real estate market. I mean, we've all heard today things that are going on in it. And of course, we're tracking it. We've invested a million dollars in our systems to track every maturity that's going on out there in the in the market. And uh, you know, when you're considering investing, whether it be a co-GP fund or any of the other options that we have available to us, it's important to know where you are in the market because the market provides a tremendous tailwind. And if you look at all the great fortunes that have ever been made in the real estate business. Most of them were very fortunate to have started during market downturns. And that's where we're at today. But let's uh, see if I can get this thing working here. I got it. There we go. All right. So <laughs> what is this? Negative 70%, negative 71%. What is this figure? This is transaction volume in the multifamily industry. And this is taken January over January. So how far has transaction volume fallen in the multifamily industry since last January? There's your answer, 71%. What, why is this? Of course, interest rates, no, no, uh, no surprise there. But we see this at the beginning of every cycle. And when the transactions fall, ultimately your valuations go down. You don't have 20 people bidding on a property. You got four or five. There's no such thing as a best and final. All of a sudden you're finding the people that got money that can execute quickly are the ones that, that gobble up these deals. Now, another key number, we just looked at transactions are off 70%. What about values? All right, the same company did this right here. And this is an annualized value, but these, these are the, t the cream of the cream of multifamily properties. In other words, the ones that the large insurance companies buy, uh, they, they basically buy them for cash. These are same store sales year over year. Uh, the, the last number that came out in January, uh, prices fell 4.8%. If you annualize that, uh, we're on track to lose about 28% in value. These are some pretty shocking numbers, and you know, will it ultimately shake out like this? Probably not. Uh, I've been a multifamily since 1984, and so you know, I've seen some up and down cycles. I can tell you that these indices, there's none in the private market, but in the, you know, in the large institutional markets, they're out there. Uh, you know, back in '86, back in 2008, even not quite in 2000, uh, typically they went down right at 30 to 35 percent, and then there was a bounce back. 
So anytime you have these kind of numbers that are coming across, what it means is that you're in a new market cycle. And we've all heard that real estate is cyclical. Uh, usually it's caused by supply and demand fundamentals, but in this case, it's the capital markets. And this is not, the, the supply and uh, demand supply fundamentals are still in relatively good shape. They are weakening some, but really what is causing this market is a capital market reset. And what we're seeing really is just a reversion of mean. What we saw during 2000 to 2022 was just overheated buying. I mean, uh, you know, on a risk adjusted basis, real estate shouldn't be trading at a three cap. Now, I know there's some counter arguments there. You know, we're not, not going to go into that, but uh, you know, overall, uh, you know, it just got overheated. And what we saw last year was a blow off top, like you see in some stocks and things of that nature where they just get overstretched. And that's what happened to, uh, to the real estate market. And so now, you know, are we, are we really where we are there? If you, if you look at this, the first two blocks are the seller's market. And definitely you can see that we peaked. I mean, there's little doubt now, I think, uh, everybody that, uh, you know, that, that doesn't even keep up with the market realizes that, you know, last year was probably the, the peak. The question is, where are we now as we go into these last two blocks, which are buyer's markets? And in our estimation, it usually takes about eight to 12 months for the markets to adjust, especially between the private, uh, the public markets and the private, private markets. The public markets that are done by REITs uh, they adjusted last year. We saw caps go up to roughly about 5.4. Uh, the private markets are not there yet. They're around 4.8. So there's still still some more uh, left in the private markets. So the question that that we're really looking at here, and the reason we're going in this again, is that a co-GP is one way to invest. But again, you want to invest at the right time with the right vehicle. And so what, I, what I've really done is give you a little background on, on market cycles here. We're going into, as you saw, those two blocks of where we're going to be in a buyer cycle. And, uh, you know, this is a regurgitation of what we've always heard about Baron Von Rothschild's uh, buy when there's blood in the streets. And or Warren Buffett, be greedy when others are fear fearful. But we put a, a little caveat on the end of it, but at the right time. Okay, and uh, so these new market cycles always, always present the best opportunities. And that's when everybody else, when, you know, 80% of the market moves to the sidelines, then it's time for, you know, the players to step up and start buying hand over fist. And uh, again, at the right time, uh, you have got to be professional with your underwriting. You have, you, we've heard it all in the panels today about how you have to model the downside. And there's one thing that I've learned during my career, like I said, I've been doing multifamily since 1984, is that take your worst case scenario, kind of back off a little bit, but make sure that you take into account what the downside is because markets always shift or they, they have during my 40 year career. So what, again, I'm, I'm getting into the, the meat of it. So let's say that, uh, that you want to invest in this market and uh, you want to take advantage of market timing, which is what we're doing. Uh, we're embarking on a new $2.5 billion portfolio build in 15 markets across the country uh, to take advantage of this market cycle. So let's say that you're, you're thinking like that and you're looking at your different options. The one we're going to talk about today is the co-GP. 
And I think probably most of you have invested. There are some sponsors out here that know this model very well. A typical private equity real estate deal, the sponsor, say for example, us, Essential Realty Partners, we would put in 10%. We raise the other 90% of the equity from our LPs. So a typical structure is, is the 90-10 structure, and then that structure will buy the assets. Now, one of the things that's little known in, in the business, and one of the reasons why you see private equity being so lucrative, and you hear about these astonishing fortunes that have been made over the decades from Stephen Swartzman's and the Blackstones and people like that, is that the general partner typically makes at least two to three times what an LP makes. At least. And it's, you know, it's sort of a secret that's a little guarded. Uh, GPs don't want to tell LPs that I'm making two or three times what, what you know, an LP is. And, and, and rightfully so, they do earn it. I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, it's just there, that it's given because of, of privileged. Uh, they have to earn that. But uh, it's one of the reasons why private equity is so lucrative. So uh, as you look at this structure, a typical deal, why do the GPs make two to three times what the LPs make? If you look at the bottom boxes there, you can see, if I point this thing, yeah, the box right here, you can see that a GP actually has three revenue streams. One, uh, as I said, typically they put in 10% of the investment, so they're going to get their share of the returns on their 10% investment. They get fees for fund services. For example, they get an acquisition fee, an asset management fee, construction management fee, capital event fees. These are all earned services and they're needed services to the fee. But take, for example, if we buy a $50 million property, we take a 1% acquisition fee. We, we have to compensate our acquisition team. Well, that's $500,000. Uh, a promote, and this is where where things really get interesting is the promote, or as some of you uh, know this, carried interest. It's a disproportionate share of the profits that a GP makes as a performance incentive fee. In other words, after, after the LPs get a preferred return, then the general partner starts getting an increasing share of the cash flow and the returns. And so uh, again, uh, it, it's a very lucrative type structure with three income streams. Now, on the, on the other side, the LP, of course, they're invested. They have limited liability. They're passive. Uh, they get their income tax benefits and, and their share of the profits. Now, a lot of sophisticated LPs, uh, guys that allocate on a regular basis, say 5 to $10 million, uh, you know, uh, annually a million dollars a deal or something like that, they will do what's called side letters to get a, a little increase in the PREF or a reduction in the fees, uh, some of those things. Now, where the GP fund comes in is that if you can find a special situation or a sponsor who's willing to give up some of the GP uh, commitments, you can get on this side where you can share in three of these and still maintain uh, as opposed to a direct investment, uh, uh, a GPJV, you can still maintain the passive level and uh, also share in, in these items here. Uh, the other thing about a fund, um, let's say if you're just doing a co-GPJV, then you're looking at one property. And say that property is in Dallas, you're doing a 400-unit apartment building in Dallas. 
then uh, you know you're you're set situated there. If you can get into a fund, then the fund one of the, the benefits of that is that you can spread your investment over a number of assets. And you know typically in uh, uh, you know I, I'm just throw up some sample um, figures here, but you can see right here uh, this typical fund, a GP fund, they they're leveraging. Uh, buying power up to a half billion dollars. They're targeting 10 to 14 geographically diverse assets and strategically balanced between what, they're, uh, what the, the asset business plan is, whether it's value add or opportunistic. And this fund also is uh, giving you 45% of the carry. So what does this typically mean? Well, it means instead of making 15 to 18%, and you know, we may be hard pressed to get those returns in the future, but uh, it means you're probably in the 25 to 28% IRR range. And again, because you're in a fund, you're getting some scale of 10 to, to 14 assets, and uh, you're also getting uh, some strategic balance. And the way this works again, is you can see that a GP fund if it's structured by the sponsor, will will come in on the GP side, and the GP will use that in several of its funds going across here because each one of these 10 to 14 assets will be a separate deal. And the GP will, of course, bring in the LP equity on this side. But on your side, you're acting as a super, uh, uh, a super LP, if you would. Uh, you maintain your passive nature. The GPs uh, you know, are signing on the debt. The, and owning and operating the asset and providing all the services, but you get the, the benefits there. And so it is a, uh, it's a, a way to hyper, uh, I would say hypo your returns and your diversification and your scale. Uh, again, I'm just going to leave this up. I mean, this is, uh, you know, there's different strategies. There's five different strategies in, in typical, uh, you know, real estate, uh, in the real estate sphere. And this one's just showing different target markets and showing you what you can do with the scale and the strategic diversification. So, again, this is just a, a high-level overview, but, um, uh, you know, anyone that wants to talk more, I'm always open as, uh, you know, as Andre said, I've been a member of the Family Office Club for years now, and we're a community, and so, uh, you know, no strings attached to come and, and talk to me.